You're listening to the B&H Photography Podcast. For over 40 years, B&H has been the professional source for photography, video, audio, and more. For your favorite gear, news, and reviews, visit us at bnh.com or download the BNH app to your iPhone or Android device. Now here's your host, Alan Whites. Welcome to the B&H Photography Podcast. I'm Alan Whites, and in today's episode, John and I continue our series from the Eddie Adams Workshop with two conversations on photo editing and the working relationship between photography editors and photographers. Our first talk is with Colin Crawford, Deputy Managing Editor of Visual Journalism at the Los Angeles Times, and Nancy Andrews, former Director of Photography at the Detroit Free Press and currently Professor for Media Innovation at Reed College for Media at West Virginia University. We talk to them about what young photographers should consider about editing as they are shooting and about the differences between photographers and editors. After a break, we'll resume with Pulitzer Prize-winning photographer Michael Williamson and Marion Golan, Assistant Managing Editor and Director of Photography at The Washington Post. In addition to being colleagues, Marianne and Michael are friends and will discuss the working relationship between a photographer and an editor. That's how I grew as a photographer. That's how I grow as an editor, listening to what everybody is saying about that work and and talking about it and talking it through and dissecting a couple of photos to to learn for the future shoot. So you'll, we, you know, it might be your shoot, but everybody is hearing it. Mm-hmm. We're not hiding yeah. it. And when, when people are like, what, well, you're talking about my work so publicly. Listen, it's a picture. Everybody is a picture editor. Everybody looks at a picture and has an opinion on it. They just might not tell you. We're <laughs> how, telling you. <laughs> how, how do you uh, treat the student photographers different than you would one of your staff photographers? Uh, Given the same scenario, maybe uh, maybe uh, <clears throat> I, I I really like the public edit of the you know that that community and uh, light table experience. Even though you don't have the light table anymore, mm-hmm. but um, f- for me, it's the, the, that we are stronger. Um, I mean, I'm going to sound like Hillary Clinton here. We're stronger <laughs> together, <laughs> but we are stronger together. Um, we are better as a team. People tend to think of photography as very individual and it is in a certain way it depends on the on the on the endurance and the tenacity and the vision of that individual photographer but i think any photographer or picture editor will tell you here it also depends on their colleagues that they are a product of people who have shown them i mean i am a product of what i you know all the experiences that i had here from 88 to the Every newspaper I've ever worked at, I've been product from judging con- contests with Colin, even though I've never worked directly with Colin. We, you know, we, you know, we judged the Pulitzer together. Mm-hmm. We've done these other things. And so, I mean, I learn from each of if one of those things. I mean, you learn if you listen. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's what's really key. I mean, I think what is key about this workshop is you are, you know, you, it, it's, it's led by photographers. So this is a situation where the people that are normally in charge, which would be your editors, are the ones that are, you know, sort of secondary. And, and actually, I, I really try to make the photographers take that responsibility. And most of them do, uh, because it's like, it's a photographer, it's a, workshop about photography led by photographers. But I think the editing process is really important. I think a lot of younger people, uh, younger photographers don't get the feedback. And I think at our place, that's, you know, we don't probably even do as much as I would like us to, but I think what's really important is we have strong picture editors, especially like my projects editors and people like that, that really can take photographers to another level. And some photographers are pretty decent self editors. Some are horrible. And 
the conversations about photography that take place. And again, it'll happen amongst our, my staff photographers when they're sitting around the table doing their daily work. But then I think what's really important is, is like the feedback from editors about how you did, or if it's a long-term story, what you got, what you didn't get, where you need to go next, how we're going to marry words and pictures together, you know, how we're going to do a print edit versus an online edit and bring multimedia components and then talk about a social media plan and all these other things. And I think that editing is what really makes the work better. It's, I think it's much better than just working in a vacuum as a lone photographer. Are you a little softer on the students here than you would be, let's say, on a, a rookie staff member? I don't think so. I mean, I, I don't, you know, uh, unlike some editors that like to hear themselves bark a lot, I try not to do that. I try to keep it sort of, you know, positive about, you know, how this can be better, what yeah. you did well, but here's how you could be better versus what you failed at, you know, and, and same thing, you know, I mean, look, everybody fails, we all do it. And so that's even whether it's a 30 year staff photographer or a rookie photographer, uh, as long as you're not doing it consistently or purposefully, or, you know what I mean? Or just like basically, I don't want to say blowing off an assignment, but blowing off an assignment. So if, if, if you're never going to get in trouble just for failing, but it's going to be sort of a lack of effort where you're, right. or whether here or back at the times where you're going to get in trouble. Yeah, so. Did you, did you fail forward? Did you, you know, right. did you, did you do, were you in a movement going forward and yeah, it didn't work, but you tried all these things. Oh, I tried this blur and flash, or I yeah. tried to crank the ISO up to as high as it would go, or I did this and if none of them worked, but, but you tried all those things. Since you both have been photographers and editors, can you uh, talk about the, even the differences, personality differences, <laughs> uh, <laughs> what makes a, uh, what personality traits make a good photographer? What make a good editor? I mean, I think what makes a good photographer, I mean, some of it's a gift, you know, it's just literally a gift and others it's incredibly hard work and talent and research and things like that. It's an eye. It's how you, how you can, um, you know, how you can put yourself in incredibly awkward situations over and over that you would never be in and succeed. And that you succeed by getting in with people. You succeed by being a fly on the wall. You succeed by, you know, what I love about visual journalism and what I'd give, you know, other journalists at my paper grief about sometimes is, is like, they can write a great story from the telephone. They can write a great story about something that happened eight years ago. And they often do. And my guys have to live it. They have to see it. They have to breathe. And, and one of the great, uh, there was a great line. This was, we've had massive brush fires in California. We seem to always do what a few years ago and thousands of homes had burned. And a, a reporter comes back to me and this is, you know, late in the evening. He goes, he's kind of like out of breath. He goes, you know, <laughs> your photographers, they're crazy. And I'm like, oh, great. What did they do now? And he goes, no, 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 they're, they're crazy. I go, yeah, I, I know that. But what are we talking about? He goes, no, I mean, I'm out there at the fire with them. And it starts to get intense and it's really taken off. And I just run, I'm running down the hill and your crazy photographer is running towards the fire. <laughs> and I go, yeah, that's what they do. <laughs> what they do. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think that's probably, you know, that sort of tenacity and that ability to get in with people plus, you know, creativity and vision and all these things for photographers with editors. It's probably, you know, you got to have a lack of ego you know, you got to really try because it's, it's not about you anymore. It's about you making other people's work great and you got to have patience and, you know, it's, it's a fair amount of parenting and things like that. And you, you know, one of my things is I've tried to, I don't treat everybody the same, but I try to treat everybody equally. If that makes sense. Fairly. No, fairly. Thank fairly. you. Yeah. But I don't, the way I talk to this person versus how I talk to that person or the way I motivate this person, it really depends on the personality. You can't just sort of have a blanket thing that everybody does this and everybody does that and everybody puts the little box in the corner. So, you know, we hold people to the rules, but we also, we try to play to their strengths and we try to, you know, give them 
you know, the lessons. And again, we try to, you know, you try to communicate with them on a level that they'll, you can get through and be successful. And, and, and you have good. to, to build on that. Mm-hmm. You have, you know, you don't want a, a monoculture of, of a photography no. staff. You know, it's more like a baseball team or an orchestra yep. or whatever. Each, each has different skills and you, you can play to their strengths, although sometimes they have to go and do something that's not their strength just because it simply needs to be done and they're the one there that can do it. Um, and that's key. And that exactly, I use the football analogy, but it's like I don't need all-star quarterbacks because we need a team. And the team involves a lot of different types of photographers and a lot of different types of personalities and people who have different expertise too. And you don't, you don't want, you don't want, you want to see their vision and you want to hire them for that vision and then see how that fits in your team. Again, somebody will say to me, well, how do I get hired and I'm like it depends on what I need at that moment do I need a great portrait photographer do I need a great sports photographer do I need a great videographer you know so it's sort of like as you're looking at it as a team and, and a family a little bit of both you know how do you and same thing you want somebody that fits in the family too you know <laughs> right we've what's all a, had those <laughs> what's a what's a great thrill as an editor is, is there such a thing like, uh, for example, I was, I know when I look at some of my own work and, and even watching some of you guys just shaking your head. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, well, let me just throw this out there. That'll, that'll, you'll give me the right answer. But uh, I, uh, sometimes you see the first photo in a series of 10 and almost from the first or second, you know, that somewhere in the seventh or eighth photo, there's going to be a great one because they start good. And then all of a sudden, boom, boom, boom. And I know when I, somewhere along the line, you start to get a little excited and then there it is, that one, that great photo. And you're like, wow, I knew it from the first photo of that series, even though the first might not have been very good. And uh, sometimes I get, a, I get a real thrill. And do you know maybe as you start a series that there's going to be a great one waiting there? And uh, You have your anyway. fingers crossed. There's going to be a great yeah, one of down course. there. Like, this, this, this is down. building. Don't go away. Don't right. go away. Stay with it. Stay no, with absolutely. It. <laughs> That's the flip side. Yeah. So... Uh, it, does do you get like kind yeah, of visceral so great, thrills? So great, the, yeah. Well, yeah. You, all right. So that that's very that's that to me is a very that's a, that's sort of the daily thrill. That's the that's the the hunt or the thrill of, the the, 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 the thrill of fishing. I mean, um, you know that you know every assignment is going. You know, David Gilkey described it as uh, is, is going fishing. He goes, you know, I don't care what kind of pond I'm in, whether I'm in a big pond or a little pond. I just want the chance to go fishing every day and catch a big fish. You know, catch a fish. And it can be a big fish or whatever. And so you have that when you go through that. But to me, the greatest thrill as an editor is actually with the person. Mm-hmm. That it's what, you, you know, that you're ultimately editing photographs and you're ultimately communicating with your, with your readers and, or your audience or your community, how, however you want to describe it. And so the greatest thrill is when you, when you actually do something where you fail, you and your team, the we, that we made a difference. That's the greatest fill. When you can do a documentary and kids get adopted Mm -hmm. as a result out of the foster Mm -hmm. care system, which is, um, you know, something that we, you know, that was probably one of the more proud things. Or when you can do something that explains something to somebody. So you've got that level of content. But then to me, I think, though, as an editor, I guess when I, I I actually don't look back at those things, but it's the, the relationships that you have with people and that the greatest fill is when you were able to help someone be their best and better than they even thought they could be. How important is the relationship with the the photographer? I mean, is it paramount in terms of... Everything's about relationships, isn't it? Ultimately, in in a sense. And so it's, um, you know, you have this product that you're doing, you know, you have to have a website, you have to have a podcast, you have to do whatever. Um, But then you also have that different life that gets in the way. Okay, maybe you have, you know, an ailing 
uh, parent that you've got to take care of and you've got all these things. You're doing all of these balances. Um, but then at the same time, you're, you're also trying to tap into that passion. I like to try to find out why is this person a photographer? And so, you know, what is it they want to be? Because some people, they want to be a war photographer. Some people don't. They want to be a portrait photographer. Some people want to be, you know, they only really want to do books and they're just, I'm just a stop on their pathway. You know, some people just, some people love to have that front seat of history and their only, mm-hmm. their only real price of admission is to turn around and show people what they saw. Some people don't want to go to that at all. They don't like crowds. They want to go where everybody else is not and show you what no one else is looking at. And if you can figure out what drives that person and how that meets your needs as a news organization or as a storyteller or what you want as a journalist, then you've got a match made in heaven if you can, if you can do that. And, and then you're both just so thrilled at what you can do together. As an editor, how does as mobile imaging uh, kind of changed your decision making when it comes to uh, oh, or, or has it's, it? It's you know it has. I mean, I basically we. I mean, I think we're something like fifty or fifty plus million uniques on our website every month. Mm-hmm. And, and as much as journalism has got issues and revenues are declining, I don't know that our audience has ever been bigger. And so you know, the great part is you have all these eyeballs that were never could never. You know, I, I just I had this conversation with my students a couple day or so ago where you know the good news is is that you know you. Use to like have a photo in a print newspaper and then somebody would see it and then it gets thrown away or saved, whatever, but that's it. It's gone. You can't go back a month later. You got to go to a library and start digging around. Now you've got like stories that live forever online, stories that can reach a global audience, stories that can be told with video and audio and all these other elements. It's never been more exciting. So I think, I think what I encourage my guys to do is always think about, you know, Again, what's the medium we're publishing in and what's the best edit for that? So an edit for the web is going to be oftentimes, they'll encompass the same photos quite, but they'll be bigger or different or slightly better approach. So a web edit for a desktop is going to be different from a print edit for the newspaper, which might be different from an edit that we expect people to experience on mobile. Is there anything you can specifics you can talk to about that like what would make a good photo for the for a, a mobile device or a web edit compared to uh, yeah i mean i think i think we're and i'm sort of prone to be uh, uh you know a, a more i love more photos with impact photos that you know like i'll say look it's a beautiful photo if it's 10 feet on a wall in a gallery it's not a beautiful photo three columns in a print newspaper or six inches or five inches on an iphone you know so you're looking for emotional images that readers can react to and see and and look i tell all my editors when you build galleries look at it at your on your phone and it yeah. better look good because yeah. again, that's probably, you know, that's half more than half our audience is looking at it on a phone, which is weird and challenging. But again, tight, emotional, action packed photos are kind of what you're looking for. That doesn't mean you won't do scenics and landscapes and nice travel photos too. But, um, you really, you got to think about how you're playing to your audience. It's the same. You have to get thing. in closer. Really. Yeah. You have to eliminate anything that's extraneous and just stay right yeah. to what the image is and the subject is. Yeah. So it's, it, I think it's, um, it's probably, it's just, you, you got to think a lot more about how you edit and where it's going to be published. Do photographers get it? Photographers, it used to, again, with a phone, you have a limit to how much you could zoom in or whatever the case may mm-hmm. be. Do you find that photographers are adapting to mobile devices well? In other words, they, they're, they're jettisoning what they don't need as far as looking through a camera and they're addressing just these small screens with more limited 
fields of view? Does it change anything? I don't think so. I think they're still just shooting, you know, in my, in what I usually feel like they're just great images. And then, you know, it's kind of us to, up to us in the editing process to sort of, you know, present them the best we can in, again, all the different platforms we publish on. I don't really feel like, again, other than maybe shooting a little bit tighter. And I, actually, we were just talking about this downstairs that it was like, nobody shoots verticals. And it's like, well, because everything's on the web. Well, yeah. or at this workshop, look, it's a slideshow. It's, you know, it's so it's basically a horizontal works better. I think it's just people don't like to turn their arms, but that's just me. <laughs> but you do see a lot more of a horizontal world these days, a more cinematic world as people shoot. Interesting. Yeah. And but, there's, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, but, but there's an element that too, you're also seeing more vertical video and more, yep. more vertical because a lot of, when I look at the different age groups and how people use their phone, uh, Someone who is over 35 is apt to turn their phone horizontal uh, and vertical. And someone who's under 35 is apt to keep their phone locked in the vertical position. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, I, I finally got past that. It used to get me crazy when I'd see that. And mm-hmm. now I just, ex- I accept it now. I didn't realize it. Yes. And so, <laughs> so you see, you know, the Washington Post has a vertical video player as a result. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the, there used to be this whole campaign against that. So, I mean, you know, Snapchat is vertical. I mean, you know, you have... So there's there are these different elements. There's something um, to be said about a square form that image. Yes, the square yeah. works and all, right? Yeah, it does. Instagram. Yeah, Instagram. Yeah. yeah. Well, on mobile now, there's or on the web, there's space for photo essays to some degree that there maybe had been shrinking that oh, space. Sure. Yeah. Well, and, and look, there are you know as again as much as I, it is a difficult uh, business to be in. There are so many more opportunities. There's so many websites. There's so many NGOs. There's so many you know different mm-hmm. organizations and. And look, even, you know, I keep trying to encourage our people to understand that it's my editors, it's a visual world out there and that, you know, it's not as much as the written word is incredibly important and powerful for us at the Los Angeles Times. The visuals in my mind are certainly equally important and every step of the way going forward, multiple levels of visual storytelling are more and more and more important. So I'm trying to sometimes get that message through to people. You know, I, I, I think though that, and I'm, Sorry to interrupt there. You're not sorry, interrupting, the, But one thing that I want to get in is I feel like... Talk all the time. I, but, but I feel that the digital change and the multimedia change has allowed photographers actually to have much more freedom, those that took it or choose to take it, whereas before maybe you had to also have a writing skill. And now you have to have a storytelling skill and you can use your writing in terms of formulating a multimedia project, but a photographer can truly just direct and run their own project now, whereas you didn't really see that 20 years ago. Um, And so I think that freedom has been great. So you see that leadership with picture editors and directors and places. I mean, you know, you all have done some incredible stuff. And I, and I think some of those weren't as driven by the photographers. Absolutely. Most of the best ones were, yeah, photographer generated ideas. Yeah. And those used to be, I think, harder to, Mm -hmm. to get done. And now they're, the newsroom itself is more receptive. Right. Um, so maybe we wrap up with this. Do you guys miss uh, having a loop around your neck and hunching over a light mm-hmm. light, light, light table? Or uh, you're pretty happy with the fact that you can uh, just do this on a... Don't you always plan? miss some elements of the past? I mean... Do I you mean, still I, have your Schneider loop? I, uh, <laughs> I do. I still do. I <laughs> Is it a Schneider loop? Like, yeah, it's engraved. Yeah, I have that. Um, what, I, what I miss about that and what we try to replicate in other ways is that commune the weather and I'll, I'll go back even for I'll go back to the standing around the dark room mm-hmm. 
when, as the prints come up and the conversations of the day and people leaning over you and go, oh, you should crop that tighter or, well, you know, whatever it is, or, oh, great picture, um, that you that you must seek that feedback, that conversation um, among colleagues. And so how it's sharing. So sometimes now it's actually happening quite publicly. So now I share that picture on Instagram early before I've ever turned in the other things or whatever it might be. And my colleagues and and even more are commenting right there. So the light table experience of that that gather around and comment is actually just expanded to a much broader audience. So, um, along with the volume of images yeah, the, you're looking the, at, every yeah, day. Sure. the volume, sure. yeah. And so, I agree with Colin. I mean, this is exciting. This is a great time to be a visual storyteller, uh, and and there's so many opportunities. Uh, Do you feel no a shortage of yeah. stories? That's for right. sure. Do you feel a responsibility, given that you are a bridge between both of the uh, the generations, to kind of to some degree usher? Or make people understand how it used to be and usher them into... I mean, they're going to do what they're going to do anyway, right? I, they're, they're, I think, you know, I mean, I think that's one thing about photographers and photojournalists. Again, we've always lived in a, a, a changing world and we've always had to, you know, sort of in some ways struggle to get your job done, whether it's struggling with people or logistics or getting places or in the old days developing, you know, film in a bathroom when, you know, using, you know, so we've always, we've always, and then over the years, we've been embracing technology since, you know, tra- the first drum transmitters and the Leafax and all these other machines. So I actually think they're, they're good leaders and they're, and they've always had that challenge, at least people even my age. And so I think they really embrace it. And I think, you know, like as much as I like using my Schneider loop as a shot glass now, um, <laughs> but you know, beyond, That's beyond, a great idea. it is That's a great a idea. idea, but beyond that, I mean, we almost bits of the old days, but, but the tools are so much better and the, our ability to reach an audience immediately and our ability to reach an audience worldwide and literally sometimes millions and millions of people and not be limited just by, you know, that dead tree thing. Um, I think it's really amazing. And then how you, what the tools allow you to do as a journalist and bring so many different levels into it. Again, that some of the video our folks do is just stunning and, and it's a story that you go that should be done with the moving pictures and sound you know that should be done on video and we'll shoot some stills too but it's like it gives you that opportunity to tell the story how it should best be told and to reach massive audiences so all that so outweighs you know the sort of the art of what we used to have in dark rooms and things like that yeah, I, I think too, I think my, the greater role is reminding those that are still doing it when people are like oh but we now have to do this and this and I was like okay Used to be, you would yeah. have to leave the scene by three or four o'clock to get back to make your to drive an hour to get back to develop your film to do whatever to make your to print, make your deadline. Type now <laughs> you can stay on the scene and literally send the pictures immediately from the scene and, and never keep leave pushing it the story. and keep <laughs> pushing the story. You know the cameras now the the digital has the ability to see at far lower light situations sure. than we had with film. So you have all of these tools that are just getting better and better and better. And I, things, I, I, it you still know. fascinates me. Every once in a while, I'll, I'll be going through a, a online or on print, and I'll see a photograph that was taken in the streets at night, and, and it strikes me that 10, 15, 20 years, you couldn't do this. No. You needed flash where you just see little highlights. Now it's a dark version of daylight, and mm-hmm. you can see everything. And it's, I find it amazing that you can do that. 
Yeah. Yeah. And it's also great. I mean, I think it's great really how our industry in general has sort of embraced yeah. the tools and has embraced the technology and not, there was, I think there was a point in the nineties where it felt like, and I really felt, cause I'm not a technology guy and I made a conscious decision not to do that early on because I saw so many visual editors getting tied up in the early nineties of what's the new transmitter, how are we going to do this? And everybody's involved and worried about, you know, the cameras and this and that. And I'm like, whoa, we're not, we're not talking about journalism. We're not talking about the stories. And so I've sort of like, you know, maybe that's my excuse for not being a tech guy, but I've always wanted to try to sort of focus on the journalism and the other stuff. We'll have some experts out there and we'll figure it out, but it's all about the story we're telling through our lenses, you know, and again, whatever, the computer behind it or the film behind it or the chip is, it's really about that photographer, that visual journalist and the story that they can tell because of their skills and what they bring to the table. I think that's the most important part. Very, very good. Colin and Nancy, thank you both for joining us. Terrific talking with you guys today. Thank you. Thank Pleasure. You. Enjoyed it. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to be speaking with Michael Williamson and Marianne Golan. We hope you're enjoying this edition of the B&H Photography Podcast. Send us a tweet at BH Photo Video, hashtag BH Photo Podcast. So to build on what Ms. Golan said, I completely <laughs> agree with everything she said except for that part about photography. <laughs> if you are interviewing me and her, so much of our editor-photographer is cosmic and spiritual and... Um, concept. We don't spend a lot of time on the light table editing, cropping film because the way we discuss it and have an understanding at first, we don't have to do a lot of that. In other words, we build houses. We don't sweep up the nails afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Wow. So, so questions about what's it like to be at nine hours at an editing table with Michael, that's not what we do. Hmm. We spend three hours at dinners talking high concepts about what are we trying to say and how can we do it visually with a non-visual story. So we're, we're not nuts and bolts. We're um, she's my rabbi. And he's not Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you're recording this. For those of you who are just joining us, we have Michael Williamson, double Pulitzer Prize winner photographer uh, all over the planet, very well accomplished. And uh, Marianne Gullen, uh, Washington Post director of photography. Nice to see you again. This is going to be about a relationship between a photographer and an editor. And John, you want to get into that a little bit? or Well, let's just start with how you guys met. Did you hire him at the Washington Post? This is what's so funny. Now, Michael was a good friend of Eddie's. And so Michael was a fixture up here at the workshop as a team leader and had been teaching for many years. So we had become friends from work. This is back around when? How far far back is this now? Just curious. 15 years ago or so. Okay. Totally. Okay. Yeah. But we physically closely met here. Yeah. Okay. Because I we I never hired Michael. Michael was at the Washington Post when I arrived at the Washington Post, and he had been a staff photographer at other publications before the Washington Post. Okay. But I couldn't work with him because he was a staff photographer. So like so many of the relationships that have been born and built at uh, Eddie's workshop, uh, Michael's and mine was initially a professional friendship. And then much to both of our surprises, um, four and a half years ago, I was offered the position at the Washington Post where he was. And, um, and it was a great relief to me when he called me immediately and said, hallelujah, instead of, oh my God. (laughs) 
And what was was part of the draw to go to the the Washington Post? The staff that was there. Well, yeah, of course. I mean, it's a it was a Pulitzer Prize winning staff, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of wonderful photographers there. But I had left um, from Time Magazine, being a news photography editor for more than I told you guys twenty four years. Um, that. I had taken four years off and I was, when I say four years off, I mean off from daily news. Mm -hmm. So I had been doing, um, workshops. I curated look through the festival of the photograph in Charlottesville, Virginia. I did a whole bunch of different things. I did two books, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, I I was busy during, during that time. But when this opportunity came along, it was, um, a fantastic opportunity because, uh, I knew Michael was there. I knew there was a lot of talent there and I thought, wow, um, you know, it's sort of like getting back in the saddle again. Can you talk a little bit more about the the dinners that uh, the three hour dinners that create a, a concept and maybe give us an example of a, a story that uh, that was born over a dinner? Yeah, you're essentially talking concepts. This is for news. It's not like we're coming up with an ad campaign. So, what does a concept consist of? Well, I think I think Michael was up for. Um, uh, a, a third Pulitzer uh, two years ago for a series of stories that he did around the country on the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, mm-hmm. SNAP, Step. which replaced uh, food stamps. Mm-hmm. And Michael and Eli Saslow, one of our most talented writers, uh, went around to a bunch of different places to explore how SNAP differed from food stamps. And Michael has this long history of covering poverty, but also people who struggle, people who have food insecurity, et cetera. But the idea is, as Michael said, and then I'm going to turn it over to him. But when we started talking about this was, you know, you have a card, it's like a credit card. That's what SNAP is given to you as. And his challenge, as it were, was, what, well, what if you had the card and now the card has less on it than it did before? That's not very visual, right? So we started talking about all the different ways that he could get at how to show what that means. So... Michael. I'm actually going to back up two years before that when we had our first dinner Okay, when she was hired. That was the old four-hour $200 steak dinner. Remember that? <laughs> she paid. Oh, I knew this was going to work out. <laughs> but it was a love fest in that, man, am I lucky you took the job. And she's like, man, am I lucky you work here. <laughs> like... We could be each other's psychological right-hand man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we can do that. Mm-hmm. So, nice feeling. Because um, the culture of newspapers and magazine were quite a bit different. And imagery is the same and all that, but I think the Post was acknowledging that it needed to go a little less old, old school and more, I hate this term, but it's just the best way to cut to it, magazine-y. A little more fluid, a little more... I don't even mean artistic. I just mean... Conceptual. Yeah. And and so I needed to grow. Mm. And boy, did I get lucky. I mean, and the way Marianne shaped the difference in the way I shot was not through micromanaging, but saying, you know, open it up, let it go, quit cropping, let it be. You know, if it's a big, dark, scary sky, it's bigger and darker if you go wider. And the little church that's threatening is smaller. Like I was trying to rule of thirds, keep it tight. And she was like, let it go. And that is harder to teach somebody to let go than it is to teach them to work nine to five and, you know, dig the ditch. It's it's harder to conceptualize what you could do with a really good ditch than to dig one. 
So the fact that we cosmically got along so well was great. So when you do cut to the food stamp story, I consistently get these crazy stories where they go, oh, Michael, we got a problem. It's not visual. It's over. It's not happening anymore. The people are gone. Nothing to see. The few that are left aren't cooperative, but knock yourself out, bro. Go for it. You know, I remember I did a story. It was the 100th anniversary of a uh, lynching on an old bridge. Now, the creek's gone. The bridge is gone. <laughs> the town's gone. There is a bridge there, but it's just a cement overpass. But make it look ominous and a sense of history in which we feel the pain of uh, it's a concrete overpass. <laughs> yeah, but you do that... That Williamson thing, which we still don't know what that is, but apparently it I'm means sorry, something from nothing. Jump, was that an assignment that you no. were involved in? No. Okay. No. But it was an example of That's how... That's not something I did. Oh. <laughs> it was an example of segueing to food stamps of having a bit of a track record of getting a lot of stories that didn't immediately scream visually easy. And like she said, you know, it's a card. It's not even like you have a handful of food stamps and there's less. Now what? It's a card that just... So we had to really brainstorm five different states, five different circumstances in which people's lives would be negatively affected by less food. Everything was on the table in terms of how would you show that, not the least of which get the right people to represent that story and not be redundant. So having somebody of superior intellect to just think outside the box and inside the box at the same time and play to... What I actually like is a challenge. I love it when, see, when it's so non-visual, they're expecting almost nothing. It's easier to work because you're not um, pressured by, you know, when you go to a famine, you know, there's stuff there. You'll get something. But when you go to a historic site and nothing's there, it's really about your ability to pull a rabbit out of a hat. And the fact that she believes in me, (laughs) you can't believe how much you do better when you think somebody believes in you and has your back. And that's the hardest thing to explain about our relationship is just knowing that I can call after three days and say, I'm at a wall, but I'm feeling it. Stay two days. Just do your thing. We're not putting up, you know, I think too many bosses want to control the outcome. And what she wants to do is let the creative process flow fluidly with little hints of where it could go to successfully work with the story. Now, Miriam, would you do that with the same approach with another photographer? No, I mean, I think what we were talking about, uh, I've been talking about, Michael, with my lovely colleagues here, that um, as a photography editor, your relationship's different with each photographer. You know, I mean, there's, there, I said, I was saying that if I was looking for somebody to do an assignment, I might say, um, these two photographers are incredibly talented and I love both of them, but one of them is going to be way better for this assignment than the other. And that's when you get into the cosmic spiritual part. You know that I know that you go on a story like that and it's five places. So you're going to think of it as five fingers on your hand, right? Cause you're going to know it has to look like a hand when you're done with it because you think that way. Do you see what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's not about his visual talent. It's the way he thinks. And also it's, it's as you like to say, my people, you know, the people that move you, that uh, motivate you to, to keep doing this work after all the years that you've been a photojournalist. And, uh, so he immediately connects with people 
in these circumstances. And when you think nobody could possibly get in somewhere, you know, Michael's not only in there, he's laying on the floor in the living room, you know, so, um, getting a nice angle on something. But, um, in this particular story, it was also very fun because when he'd come back, we saw each other for like a mid, mid, mid story dinner and he had just gotten back and he just like whipped his camera over, which he had never done before and goes, look at this, look at this, look at this. And he was showing me on the back of his camera, something that had really excited him that he shot the day before. And I said, I knew you were going to kill this, you know? And he told me at the end of the story that that was the point at which he felt like, I know I can finish it. You know, it's really about being a supporter you know, and, and as he said, having his back, you know, if he's somewhere and he said, you know, I've been here three days, but I'm just starting to feel it. I'll say, stay longer, you know, to get what it is that you need, you know, to make it feel like he's got the right support too. Because I think a lot of what we're losing in the current environment of photography, because Michael and I are not spring chickens, um, is this sort of relationship where you can have an understanding of the needs on both sides. He knows that we need an A1 photo. He knows that we need enough pictures to fill a gallery, not just two pages on the inside of the newspaper. I know that he knows these things and we can work together with one another to develop it. And we already trusted each other before we worked together. So that was really excellent because we didn't have to get through a lot of the push pull that I've had to go through with other photographers, for instance, who even photographers who work at the post, because you don't really know each other. So you have to kind of find your way. And I think we just zipped right past all that. Well, You'll remember this. You watch watch your head bob here. In our first year, I had five or six major projects where I turned in between 30 and 80 pictures. And I had in the back of my head the probable A1, photo 47, but I didn't tell her. And she would go through the take five times in a row. The A1 photo she picked, I go, this is creepy because that was the one. <laughs> I had as you picking a remember how we had that ridiculous run. It was almost spooky because I didn't put it at the front. I didn't put it in a batch of favorites. It was just in there. In there. It's just mind meld, you know, or was it just the best, the best photo? No, because it was, no. some of it was nuance and, and, and layering. The story wasn't even written and it turned out that was the best photo to go to the story that knew one of us knew. Right. But we talk about too. I mean, I think this is the other thing that's good about uh, working with Michael is that we talk about how to bring a story alive because a lot of times what, what I think is the place that photography can really elevate when you're doing journalism, because I mean, come on guys, journalism is everything together. It's headline, it's caption, it's, it's voice, it's voice of the photographer, it's voice of the writer. And I think what the best combination is that we come up with, and Michael is a master at it, is to hug the story on both sides tight enough to keep it together without having it be literal, you know, just not, I mean, that you, you get the feeling of something without it being exactly, I mean, 
I, I guess the best way to describe it is to say what I hate the most mm. is when an editor says, but this guy's in the lead. And I say, I don't care if that guy's in the lead. That, la- that guy can be this big on the inside because this is the lead photo. And the reason is because we're setting a tone for the story. We're setting a tone. And this is the image that you'll dive into this story on. And if you want to see what that guy looks like, you can see him later. You know, you can see him on the jump pages in the print product, or you can see him in the gallery, or we'll make sure we get him in there. But just because the opening line is from a certain person doesn't mean that the first image you see has to be that person, you know? And I think that's the difference between like being literal and being more sort of conceptual. And so when you said at the very beginning, Alan, we're not talking about advertising here, we're talking about journalism, our big projects at the Washington Post, we refer to our big projects as enterprise. A lot of different places refer to it in different ways, but the Washington Post enterprise is our original journalism. It's not coming from the wires. It's not coming from anywhere, but our collective professionalism, you know, and those are the stories that Michael's working on most of the time. So we're looking at projects over the course of the year or things that we could revisit in a first take, second take, third take, where you're thinking long-term about what the packaging of the whole uh, project is going to be. And also what's the meaning, the visual meaning that you're trying to get out of that selection of photographs or the, that assignment. And Michael's really, really good at it. Do you see where she said it hugs the story, but not necessarily just illustrating point by point by point, everybody mentioned. One of the things that I love about doing these projects is I'm like the Americana back roads freak. So I want to go into the little Alabama town, to the bars and the pool halls. Even though the story is completely unrelated, it's about a drug problem. The reporter doesn't spend a lot of time about the nature of the town or what it's like. It goes kind of right to the people and the problem. But I always give them that Williamson Town Pictures stuff because I, for me, I'm adding to the story. Here's this place. Here's where it is. It's in the hills. It's dark. Half the buildings are, are boarded up. Even the story we just did on a Trump supporter that felt defeated by the economy a third of the photos I turned in was the abandoned town that she drives through every day, and it reminds her of failure. It was my attempt to visually say, this is why she feels so frustrated, angry, and beaten down. Reporter barely mentioned the decrepit, rotting buildings. I added to her story. She only needed one throwaway line about the battered downtown because she knew I was going to photograph it. And Marianne's good about, like, I don't care if they don't mention downtown. This could be the lead. Remember the food stamp story? Mm-hmm. One of the strongest photos was a cheesy little sad used car lot because I made a separate expanded point that when people ran out of money, they sold their cars and now they were on foot and they were walking to these food banks. Completely unrelated to food stamps, except it was one of the dominoes that falls when poverty kicks in your door. And it was strictly visual. None of that was mentioned in the story. And she lets me run with it. I mean, sometimes I am so far away from the original story. Yeah, sometimes I have to yank it back. (laughs) It's like, yeah, the lunar eclipse is not really related. So, uh, you know, nice try, Michael. Well, like, in, in that story, for example, when will you first show her some images? I send a big, loose take, and then she tears it apart. I have nothing to say after that. Of after you're done with, let's say, the first town you went to? I or? give good, solid pictures from each thing I shoot, mm-hmm. but I, I let the doctor do okay. the surgery. Okay. Uh, do you send everything you've shot? Would you, every you, scene. Uh, no, oh, not okay. every frame, because okay. I don't send junk. She doesn't have time to look that's at 4,000 okay. frames. Yeah, yeah, okay. But if I've done a person that's in it, you'll get every 
scene, version set would, piece that I plenty, did. Plenty of choices depending on the need. She so, never has to call and say, do you have a wide? Do you have an overall? Do you have a close-up of the guy's face? Coverage. I'll give you three versions of the important, important person's face. So you can run it small or wide or jump with it. I do think like an editor in terms of, ooh, if I got three paid spread, they could use this, but not if it's two. <laughs> During the food stamp story too, I remember I kept trying to get in these water towers. He had been at this one place and it was near a town that was kind of known for these paired water towers that they had done something funny. They'd written something it funny. It said hot water, cold water. Yeah. It's a, <laughs> on these two water oh, towers. Next the twin water towers. Yeah. And so I wanted to include it in this. We did put it in the gallery, but I wanted to include it in the edit of the story because I said, you know, it's all at like a little, little emotional relief because when you're looking at you're you're sympathizing with these people who are in in a life of struggle that when you see something like with the blue sky and the hot water cold water water towels give it and I might as well have been speaking Arabic you mm. know to my editors they were like looking at me like I was from another planet and I said to Michael that's where you really feel the divide between sort of um, magazine journalism and newspaper journalism in that you want it right and you want it factual, but I think there's a lot more air in it, if that makes sense yeah. to you. Yeah. Yeah, you know, sure. we want to hug the story, right. as I said, very but tightly, not squeeze it to but death. not squeeze it to right. death. So you just feel like, okay, you know, I mean, I used to say uh, a lot of times too that, um, our loyal readers are really smart. You know, that's why they're reading us, they you know, so credit, that's like, yeah, yeah, give them some credit and, and also challenge them because I feel like as a professional, a picture professional, a photography professional, um, working with people like Michael, that even like for me, it makes my heart sing to hear him say that he heard me when I was saying, loosen it up, Michael, get out of your box, you know, like just for, forget the, your box and play in the whole yard today. Yeah. You know, yeah. like <laughs> I want you in the whole yard. And he heard me right. and the pictures got more open and he started shooting a little looser. And then we, you know, when he came back and we started talking again, he said, I feel energized. I feel like, you know, I've Absolutely. got this new thing going on. And I said, you got a new editor, you know, like you got somebody else to work with and he had been working with, you know, but also he has my back. I've got his back, you know, so you really do feel that sense of camaraderie. That's so, so important because in a newsroom and Michael, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but my experience has been that, you know, photography people have to stick together because even in the year 2016, and I'm astounded that I'm saying this, especially after 30 years in the business, there's still a lot of people who think, the picture should be illustrating the story. Yeah. And so service department, service department, these age old battles about the value of the journalism that is visual journalism. And, you know, you say visual journalism, um, we use that terminology a lot and I use visual narrative all the time. It's a visual narrative. We're telling a story here with the pictures, you know, so the story that you're reading and the story that you're seeing can be can run parallel to with to each other without even intersecting, and but, it's but we've made headway there. We have because we'll get a killer portrait, and she'll make sure we get information and a good quote and put a full quote in the caption. Not only does it end up in the story, 
I had two stories where they had to give uh, Michael Williamson contributed to this report because uh, all the best quotes I gave to the reporter. And that really helps the credibility that we're not competing here, people. I just found a better person. And sometimes the person's not even in the story except for that caption. I will say one more thing. I know it's an embarrassing love fest, but <laughs> I've been doing it 35 years, had two teenage children, an extremely busy life, and friends on Facebook and relatives said something in the last few years that's been very interesting. You know, two Pulitzers, eight books. I've had a great life. They'd say, what do you, you got better. I mean, how did you get better after 30? What, what do you, something's going on with you, Williamson. You noticeably improved. Now, part of that is a baseline concept that I think you should always be growing. I mean, I mean, I really do see photographers who are exactly as good or not good as they were 10 years ago. But this goes, and I always say, I know the day and time, <laughs> the four hours take dinner when she let me out of the puppy cage at the um, homeless dog shelter. <laughs> I'm still on a leash. <laughs> it's just 400 miles long. Well, have you, have you ever barked back at the... Uh at the owner and, and fought for a photo that uh, maybe wasn't going to be included? Like I said, this love fest is going to be sickening. I've never had a major disagreement with Marianne over a photo. I'm going to ask a flip question. You obviously deal with more photographers, okay, than Michael, okay? And how many, what percentage of the photographers, I'm not going to ask how many, but what percentage of the photographers that you deal with on a regular basis, and there's a number of them, do you have the same kind of connection that, Weird. Oh, very few. No, it's a very few. I have to tell you, I mean, it, it's a very, Michael and I have a very professional relationship, but we're also friends. And I think we're friends first. And we were friends first before we started working okay. together. And I think that changes the whole dynamic because there's a mutual respect. I knew his work. He knew my work. And we just, um, I mean, it's very unusual. I mean, because I've walked, and I'm sure Michael can tell you similar stories, but I've walked in this, in these, in this barn, at this workshop, amongst legends in the business that I've never edited with. I've never signed them. I've never sat down with them and gone over their work together with them. But I respect them and they respect me. And I have a feeling that there's a handful of those people that I would love to work with the way that I work with Michael. But this was serendipity that we ended up at the same newspaper is like almost, I mean, ungodly. Um, but that said, I do tend to be um, a person who wants to connect with the photographer to be able to have a relationship that I think always invariably nets better work out of both of us by going farther, digging deeper, asking questions about what they're doing. I think this workshop's a lot of it. Michael's been a team leader here and his kids will say, you know, he can really get to the heart of you. And I think as a teacher, I'm always saying that, that the best photography is coming from the inside of you. So if you're not willing to let me see the inside of you, I'll never be able to help you. You know, like, I'm willing to to uh, to reveal my weaknesses if you'll reveal yours and we can strengthen each other, if that makes sense. You know, it's really, I just want to thank you for answering the question that I didn't ask yet. And that was, is there a difference between 
the relationship between a an editor in journalism and a photographer and say an editor in advertising and a photographer and the way you have been discussing concept and mo illustrating and giving a narrative okay you basically answered it and there really isn't any okay there's some details that are different but the creative thing can be the same, and that's just kind of neat to Well, I hear. think visual narrative to me is a universal language that people respond to no matter what the words are on it. So I think, you know, in advertising, a lot of times you need the combination of the image and the words to sell, you know, whatever it is you're trying to sell. And kind of on the really the granular level of photojournalism that uh, Michael Williamson produces and this sort of level of real, I mean, real, absolutely uniquely true kind of human level that photojournalism operates on. You don't need any words. If you do build a picture story properly and you sort of introduce an idea and introduce a character and walk somebody through a f 10 frames, 12 frames, I could interview you. I could say, here, I'm going to show you a story. I'm not going to speak. I'm just going to show you the story. And I'll say, okay, what's the story about? And you'll be able to tell me. The other thing, I think it's a little bit parallel to what she said about universal translation, is a whole other thing we haven't talked about because we've been so talking about creativity and that we are in the same vibe. And that's another area that's so foundationally part of our belief. And that's this. I'm not trying to show off my cool photography. I'm not trying to shove my eye candy down your throat. There's, it may look real pretty. There's content in there, homie. And she gets where I'm dressing up content to make it accessible. But I never forget who I'm actually working for. That's a great point. The That's reader. Point. It's not about me. And this is when I do portfolio critiques. The meanest thing that I ever heard was from another leader who said, well, you know, Jeremy, I've learned a lot about you, but nothing about your subject. That was pretty mean, but we are seeing that navel-staring stuff in which they forget who they're working for. Marianne always understands there's a story that we are sending out to millions of people that has to ride this strange wave of being simply enough explained that a regular person will get it and yet high enough in that you know somebody at the White House will go, wow, we need to do something about those batteries and the cell phones. And so I... I'm working for you. You don't have to care about what my favorite thing is. Now, I'll make you like my Route 66 pictures because they'll be so deliciously fun that you'll want to go there. So I'm doing social engineering, but I'm not doing lobbying. I'm offering you water on a hot day, and that water will be good for you. And Marianne is always, we're trying to service this story. We're not trying to show Michael's best photos. The strangest Good stuff. Thank you to Nancy, Colin, Michael, and Marianne, as well to Alyssa Adams and Miriam Evers of the Eddie Adams Workshop, which is sponsored by Nikon with support from B&H. As always, thanks to John Harris and Jason Tables and to our listeners whose feedback and comments help guide our show. We can be reached on Twitter and Instagram with the hashtag BHPhotoPodcast or feel free to email us at podcast at bhphoto.com. My name is Alan Weitz, and as always, thank you so much for joining us today.